love thy neighborhood. Okay. Oh, cool. Oh, definitely. Awesome. Discipleship and missions. Mission. For, For modern, modern times. We assume and project performance on God, that God wants me to perform and is upset if I perform in a way that is substandard or whatever. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky, Welcome. 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 To the Inia cast. Hey, welcome to the Enneagast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram. And today, we are continuing our journey through the heart triad as we explore type three. We are continuing our series on how our personality impacts our relationship with God and our approach to faith. Yes. So we said every episode, the way you relate is the way you relate, which is one of our favorite quotes by Richard Rohr. And all we're saying here is that your relational style applies to all different sections of your life. So how you relate to God, how you relate to your friends, how you relate to your coworker, it's all tied together within your type. So today we're going to explore how that shows up for type three, the achiever. So today's content is building on our 101 content from season one of the show. So make sure that you have a basic understanding of the Enneagram before diving in further or You're going to feel a little lost. (laughs) Okay, so what is it going to look like today, Lindsay? Okay, so we're going to look at three things. First, we're going to look at how their personality influences their relationship with God. Second, how their fixations influence their view of God. And third, how God heals people with this Enneagram type. Okay, so first, let's explore how their personality influences their relationship with God. Lindsay, give me an idea of what this looks like when it's healthy. Yeah, so I was just going to tell our lovely listeners that this has actually been a really hard episode for me. You know, you and I, we both have a lot of three Mm -hmm. in our personality, and I found myself really struggling. Like I just felt like I was too close to the tree to see the tree. So what I came up with for the three, when they're having a healthy relationship with God, you know, they are dedicated. They have lots of energy and they are channeling that energy into their spiritual walk. They are channeling their energy into knowing God, loving God, being honest, you know, with their back and forth with God, listening to the spirit. They're going to access a lot of that sickness and be about God's people be about you know the church and loving people they're going to reflect that glory and charisma that we see in God and mm-hmm. in Jesus you know that like drawing people to God through their like magnet mag- mm-hmm. what is that word magnetism or mm-hmm. yeah their magnetism <laughs> yeah 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 I agree I think like when I think of like a, a healthy three in terms of their relationship with God 
is definitely has this sense of like I'm building the kingdom. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a part of mm-hmm. the, his work in the world, his activity. There's a, a bit of a sense of like God and I are doing something together. Yeah. But there's also a lot of depth. So mm-hmm. it's not just performative. It's not just mm-hmm. a go get it done. You know, these folks have a, a richness in which God is not being utilized as a tool to mm-hmm. build something, but that God is truly the source of joy of their life and mm-hmm. that they can be, that, you know, honest about who they are and they've got rich friendships and mm-hmm. they find genuine joy in the beauty of who God is. And so the the activity is coming out of that space. Yeah. 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 Okay, so so that's the good news. I think we also need to take a look at the ways that their mm-hmm. personality negatively influences mm-hmm. their faith. Yep. Lisa Fisher told us that psychology informs theology. So our personality leads us to create particular theological emphasis. Yeah. Emphases. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's going to result in a slanted rule of life. Like our scales are weighted towards certain aspects. So then we relate to God through a skewed approach. We make good things, ultimate things at the expense of better things. Yeah. Yeah. And so for the three, they end up having this tendency to relate to God primarily through producing. So they've got this relational approach to God that's like, it's about results. It's very pragmatic. And so... There can be a sense in which the three can take on sort of the activity of the Christian life. They look like a vibrant, healthy Christian. Mm -hmm. They may even be a teacher. They may be some sort of influencer online that's Mm -hmm. always like their platform's Mm -hmm. all about faith. But it's not necessarily coming from a place that is this genuine substance. It's an ends justify the means sort of thing. And I think that, you know, when you really consider it like it at its worst. Yeah. Now you take this non-resourceful three train all the way to the end and the station that's going to arrive at, like that's where you get sort of that Hillsong, New York yeah. kind of stuff mm-hmm. where it's like the celebrities sit in the front row and there's like all this like indulgent behavior behind the scenes. Yeah. There's a sense in which they commandeer the language without doing the work. Mm. Yeah. I just think the word you said producing, it literally becomes a production you know you see the root is the same in those two i think this could be really hard and maybe i'm speaking personally maybe when you're a three i think one struggle with this too of when you have decided that jesus is it like jesus you're all in with jesus you believe it you're giving your heart to it you want to be holy you want to do what's right and so you're on that train but you think it's in a good way like you're going full steam ahead like whatever you want god And so you start doing the things. But after a while, it becomes more about the doing of the things and you lost that original heart. Mm -hmm. And I think we see that a lot in pastors. You know, we've talked a lot about the, what did you call it? The evangelical industrial Industrial complex. complex. And a lot of these people, it's kind of like Saul in the Bible that I think, you know, we're always like, he's so horrible. He tried to kill David. But it's like, actually, if you read about Saul, he was just an unassuming guy. Like he was chosen from the crowds, just like David was. He didn't ask for it. You know, he was anointed just like David was, you know, but it's like he got caught up in his own glory along the way. Yeah. And then it became less about I am God's servant chosen to be king and more about like, I'm awesome. I'm the king. Mm -hmm. Like. And mm-hmm. so I see that that can be this negative side of threes that it can be that pharisaical thing of, you know, I've got the robes and I've got the headpiece and I've got the words and I've memorized all the scriptures and I've got the position, but I've kind of lost 
my heart along mm-hmm. the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there can be a sense in which they're doing too much. Mm-hmm. They're avoiding their emotions, you know, yeah. and they are denying how valuable failure is, mm. you know. And so there's a sense in which uh, we can just kind of get swept up into that stuff. Yeah. Okay, so that was like, Ooh. that was all yeah. really negative. Um, Sorry, guys. Okay, so <laughs> so what's next? What, what okay, do we need to look so at Okay, so that's next? how this type relates to God. But one of the reasons that we relate incorrectly is because we see incorrectly. You know, we've all got those lenses on of how we're viewing the world and then also how we view God. So how does the lens of this personality distort the way they see God? You know, God is someone who is either impressed by their success or disgusted by their failure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so there is a sense in which they they look at God and they're like, okay, I need to appear a certain way because if I don't, he won't accept me. He yeah. won't love me. Mm-hmm. And so as much as their theology may say otherwise, it's just a very difficult thing, you know, to look at God and go, no, seriously, he really accepts me as I am. Yeah. That that seems unlikely. Yeah. This is my favorite part of every episode yeah. where we talk about the true yeah. image of God because I think that's what we all need tattooed on our foreheads. So God sees them and knows the real them. He's not drinking their Kool-Aid. Like he knows the real them when they've actually forgotten who the real them even is. Yeah. And he loves that real them. You know, and then we see God is the embodiment of capital T truth, mm-hmm. like his glory and his truth are indistinguishable. Like they're both key aspects to his character and that those can be reflected in threes mm-hmm. or in all of us, mm-hmm. you know, and that God is the God who accepts us at our worst. You know, it says like while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, not like when we had the great Sunday hat and gloves, which I did have growing up, by the way. Nice, nice. That he died for us in spite and even kind of because of Mm -hmm. our failure. When we see God as glorious, truthful, perfect, but compassionate and gentle and loving, you know, then we start to have a real view. And that's a God you can come to. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's not a scary God to fail we don't need to impress him. Yeah. We, he doesn't need the dog and pony show. Yeah. We can come just as we are. In fact, that's what he wants. Yeah. It's not just a, hey, you know, you can come as you are. It's he wants you yeah. to come as you are. Yeah. Okay, so for type threes, we've looked at how personality influences their relationship with God and how their lens influences their view of God. So now we're left with this question of how God heals people that have these wounds with Mm -hmm. this Enneagram type. Well, the first step is that we have to surrender ourselves to the good news of Christ. So what is the good news specifically for type threes? Yeah, so threes, you know, they're in the heart triad. So their big underlying emotion they're dealing with is this issue of shame. Mm -hmm. What heals shame? Delight heals Mm -hmm. shame. And so uh, they have got to be able to sit in a place of 
authentically yeah. being before God and receiving his delight. God loves you. God dotes over you. Mm -hmm. God is so pleased with your existence. The very fact that, that you exist brings him great pleasure and you don't have to be on a stage to earn that pleasure. Yeah. And of course, you know, he also deals with their fear, with his presence. He deals with their guilt, with his forgiveness. Right. So for this type, we talk about that God gives them the good news. I love your unedited self, not your performance. Yeah. 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 There, there's so much a sense, you know, we're, we've been saying a version of this over and over mm -hmm, again of mm -hmm. like, God does not need you to look a certain way, act yeah. a certain way, put on a certain persona. Mm -hmm. God loves you as you are. Yeah. And, the, and the thing is, it's like good news leads to transformation, you know. So after receiving this good news, you're invited to respond as a disciple to move from deceit, especially self-deceit, yeah. into a place of truthfulness, a place of authenticity. So you're invited to be habitually honest, to be authentic, to be in touch with your own true feelings. And here's the kicker. You can do it all without needing the positive regard mm. of others. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be preoccupied with what everyone else thinks about you. And often people don't appreciate it when you do your work yeah. for any number. Yeah. You know, because people are used to the self you've been giving them yeah so when you start giving them a more truer self sometimes you won't get the positive regard of others yeah like people are going to be like why are you a mess mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like why aren't you achieving mm -hmm. and that's going to hurt but you have to trust in your father who is writing the story yes yes so just a, a few just tips for you here so notice the difference between your image and what you really think or feel Notice your tendency to maintain a really fast pace of activity and wonder, am I, you know, living at the fast pace that I am because I'm trying to avoid some emotions that I mm -hmm. don't know what to feel about? You know, I don't know what I think about those things. Notice how little space that you give in your life to feeling your feelings mm -hmm. and to acknowledging them and honoring them. Ask yourself, what is keeping you from being willing to slow down and to be still and to be silent? And then in that space, Start to explore what are the stories that I tell myself about who I am and why do I feel the need to do that? And what does it look like just to, to rest and trust in God that he loves me as I am? Well, if you're done attacking me now, <laughs> we can move on to the next section. One side note I will make from personal experience is that the deceiving yourself can be negative as much as it can be positive of like, I'm not good enough. I'm yeah, horrible. Right. Yeah. I I have got to do more because sometimes it's grandiose and sometimes it's it's diminishing. Yeah, yeah. like but like grandiosely diminishing. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. And so like it's both. Like you have to be able to stay in the middle mm -hmm. for the mm -hmm. truth. Mm -hmm. So our last tips before we get to the interview are spiritual disciplines. So our guest today is actually the author of the book where we've been getting this information, AJ Sherrill. He's written the book, The Enneagram for Spiritual Formation, and he talks about upstream and downstream disciplines for each type. So the downstream discipline is the easier. Go with the flow of what you already want to do. Mm -hmm. And he has put goal-oriented study and planning. Yeah, comes pretty natural to yes, threes. No yep. problem. Yep. What's our goal? What's our objective? And mm -hmm. then applying that to our faith makes sense. But if you want to grow muscle mm -hmm. and you want to grow depth, and you want to get to a place where it's not just about producing, but it's actually just about substance and about mm -hmm. being in the presence of God and about going deeper into your relationships. That is going to require self-examination and confession. That's going to be the upstream discipline. The ability to look at yourself with honesty 
and to name those things. Yeah. And the ability then to go to others and to confess out loud with specificity some of the the hardships and the burdens that you're carrying. I'm reminded of saying that one of my Enneagram teachers used to say, which is whatever you disown owns you. Mm. And so the invitation for the three is take ownership. These are parts of your life and God can heal these things, but only if they're brought into the light. Okay, so that is our teaching for type threes and their relationship with God. And we are excited because as Lindsay just said, we have a special guest with us today. Our guest today is AJ Sherrill. AJ has been a pastor for more than 20 years, serving in diverse settings across the nation. He is an Anglican priest serving in Charleston, South Carolina. He's an adjunct professor at Fuller Theological Seminary where he teaches on transformational preaching and the Enneagram. He's also a writer and we have benefited from his book, The Enneagram for Spiritual Formation. And he's released another book, Being with God, The Absurdity, Necessity and Neurology of Contemplative Prayer. And he's a three on the Enneagram. Welcome back to the show, AJ. Yeah, it's so good to listen in on what you guys are talking about. So I'm honored to be present with you. I just told you this before we started. We're just super grateful for your mm-hmm. work. And yeah, your your book on spiritual formation, I just think is one of the just like loveliest and most helpful mm-hmm. and rich books just about, yeah, how do, how do we grow to be more like Jesus? How can the Enneagram as a tool, you know, be used? So we're just, I, we're just super grateful for you and your work. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Well, let's let's start here. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to know the Enneagram and what were some of the initial takeaways for you personally? Yeah, I mean, I think often the Enneagram comes to know you. <laughs> it's one of those <laughs> yeah. things that kind of like chases you down. Some people are like, I hate this thing. And finally you face it. You're like, wow, this actually is helpful and not just a cliche. I, I think for me, I, I first learned it from a, a monk named Richard Rohr. I was at his house for about a week studying for my doctorate program. And it was, I don't know, there's like a, a few of us there at his house all week and we got him off topic. And my friend Mark was like, hey, talk to us about the Enneagram. And I was like, any of what? We got him off track and he just started talking about this personality theory that was more less based on behavior and more based on motives. And that was really interesting for me. So this helped me sort of name some things that I think were sort of hidden in the dark for quite a while. I needed to confront some things that I think just kind of lingered and I wasn't aware of or that I was aware of and that sort of subconsciously buried thing. And so I, I just been on a long journey with that. The Enneagram is not really that important to me, to be honest. It's a tool, like you said, and it's a self-awareness tool. And, and we shouldn't just leave it in the place of loving the Enneagram, but allowing this tool to move us into honest self-confrontation and really what it means to be a healthy community member and leader and parent and neighbor. All of this stuff is really integrative. So, Yeah, because it is true. Like the Enneagram works as a mirror, but it ain't Jesus. You know, it doesn't yeah. love us. It's not going to change us or transform mm-hmm. us. Well, you were with us for our teaching time today. Did anything stick out to you or resonate with you? Oh, yeah, I thought it was wonderful. I actually learned quite a bit about myself, so thank you. Mm-hmm. I've jotted a few things down for the, the healthy relationship with God. You know, I thought about that narrative with Moses and the difference in the life of Moses and often the life of a three such as me is I can get really fixated on the hand of God and mm. lose sight of the face of God. Mm. And I think that's sort of the temptation for the three is is we want God's hand. We want to see God move. We want to see results. We want to see power. We want to see all the fruit that comes from ministerial or any sort of life and vocation. And I think what we see in Moses is this pattern that those who seek the face of God get the hand thrown in, like the hand will come, but it's the face that we constantly have to seek. And, you know, the flip side of that is our first parents hid from God's face 
and they hide in the shame of the face of God and their own face is buried. And threes have to, I think, come to the realization, who is God? Because what we do as performance beings, as three, is we assume and project performance on God. Yeah. That, that God wants me to perform and is upset if I perform in a way that is substandard or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so what do we do? We hide in our shame and we don't understand the character of God is better than we think. The kindness of God is better than we think. Not a kind of God that sort of wipes sin under the rug and says it doesn't matter, but the kind of God that is the one that the prodigal runs to, a God that you know lifts up his robe and runs out into the city street and, and welcomes home whomever, the, the older and the younger son. And it, it's that sense of face that I think is really important for the three, longing for presence and not performance. One of the things I wrote down as you were speaking is the idea that, you know, instead of presence, I think we often want to present in this world, mm. a sort mm-hmm. of presentation of being spectacular. I mean, just yesterday, I we, had, we decided to do all of our services together to have a big potluck afterwards. And it was beautiful, it was, you know, to bring all the services together to see who's in the room and blah, blah, blah. And I did not feel like I gave my strongest preach. And it, it was just one of those mornings where I felt a sense of shame when I sat down and I said to my wife, like, I feel like, I feel like I didn't nail that. She was like, what are you talking about? But it was this need to feel spectacular rather than just be faithful. And that, that I just assumed that everybody needs me to be spectacular in order for me to, to know who I am. Yeah. And just sitting there after communion and the Lord just saying to me, like, when did this become about you? <laughs> no matter how old we are or what platform we have, we are all constantly being formed. Um, so y'all said a ton of stuff that I felt like, oh, I could, that's good. That's good. I want to talk more about it. So it was really <laughs> helpful for me just to listen and to, to learn from y'all this morning. So thank you so much for what you shared. Yeah. So one of the things you were talking about, you know, was that we fixate on the hand of God instead of uh, looking at the face of God. And I think that that sort of an inverse, you know, reflection on the tool of the Enneagram, which is about motives and not just behavior. And that when we look at the face of God and then move into the hand of God, the motive is totally different, right? Like, Mm. because we're taken up into the beauty of God and the character of God and the security of God and the acceptance and the delight of God. And then all the hubbub and the activity and the, it all comes from that place versus, you know, some sort of self-justifying. Yeah. You know, well, the, the narrative of Genesis three, you know, it leads you to the hiding of faces. And when you look at the end of the story in Revelation, what you get is a community that's dead set on looking into the face of Christ mm. who is light and that we actually derive our light from his face. Mm-hmm. That There's something about the illumination of the glory of the face of Jesus, that when we are face to face with this one who has made this kind of encounter possible with the living God, we begin to take on that eternal glow in such a way that we're no longer manifesting our own our own sort of performance as a sense of worth, but we're actually beginning to manifest the glory of God, which tells his renown as the subject and not the object of the universe. Mm. Mm. Well, stay with us because we will continue our conversation with AJ Sherrill. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Kirsten, the recruitment assistant at Love Thy Neighborhood. We recently asked some of our alumni how serving with us has impacted their lives. Hello, my name is Trevor Martin. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. 
Trevor served with us for a summer, and after his term, he went on to pursue medical school. And he said that serving with us shaped not only his personal life, but his professional life as well. Every day in the hospital when I'm, when I'm seeing patients, I'm able to lean on that experience that I had with Love Thy Neighborhood and show compassionate care and ultimately point to Christ and point to a greater hope. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 to 30 through the areas of service, community, and discipleship. You'll grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Hey, welcome back to the Uniacast. Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And we are continuing our conversation with AJ Sherrill. AJ, what do you find the most difficult as you relate to God and what comes easily for you? There's there's three C's that I talk about a lot and it's compete, compare, control. You know, there, there there's no such thing as like just pure relationship with God. We're in this environment where we're surrounded by people and we're surrounded by creation and everything factors into that equation. So, you know, people that are like, yeah, it's just me and Jesus. Like, well, that's not true because it's you and Jesus and the hiking trail you're walking, which factors into your mindset and your worldview, along with the conversations you just came from at breakfast, the argument you just had, or the, the song you just sang. Like, it, it all is this, this cocktail. So for me, I think when it comes to my relationship with God, things that sort of create some, some dust that make it difficult for me to see are the ways in which I feel like competition and comparison can just be something that I'm constantly having to to lay down in order to have a healthy relationship with God. Because, you know, I assume God has all sorts of opinions about me if I'm not X, Y, Z. So I don't know if that really answers your question. I just think a lot of us for threes needing to control outcomes, needing to compare ourselves with those who might have a larger or a smaller platform. These are ways that just are so nefarious in our formation. And I've just started the, the, the biography of Dallas Willard, who's one of my heroes. And, and I'm just so taken aback at the simplicity of his pursuit of holiness. You know, I like this word simplexity, that, you mm-hmm. know, it's the simple pursuits that lead to a kind of complex life worth talking about. And the clamor for influence and the clamor for intrigue and followers is so loud today that I I think it actually results in a life that's very simple and banal. And it's actually the inverse that, that is really meaningful for a three. It's learning to live simply in conversations with community around you rather than at a bunch of followers that you do not know. It's learning to live simply around the table and not clamoring for stages. Um, these are the sorts of things. It's it's quiet reading and meditation and solitude that really produces a kind of life that is deeply and supernaturally fruitful. And instead, we're doing the inverse. We're clamoring for a kind of noise in life and that that yields really simple and and just results that really aren't that that worth talking about and won't probably resound in eternity. So I find that I'm constantly as a three needing to invert my priorities to live well in, in mm-hmm. this one great life that God has given me to live. Yeah. It makes me think of this, this quote from Donald Miller, who's also a type three. He says, applause is a quick fix. Love is an acquired taste. 
Mm. And and it feels like so much of what you're talking about is like, you know, nurturing an appetite for the things that are more substantial. And which often come through hiddenness. And that's a tough pill for threes to swallow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Jesus shows us, you know, even in his life, you know, we look and he could have gone to the bigger cities. He could have gone, to, you know, to places of far more influence. And he chose this bizarre, quiet, mm. you know, life. And that was the thing that the world needed. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us about a moment where you saw your personality influencing your relationship with God? Well, I think years ago, I, I planted a church in southern L.A., and it, it wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. And, you know, like the whole way the model typically works is you raise a bunch of money and then you're on a timeline to hopefully before the money runs out, have a sort of cost effective, you know, breakdown of sustainable ministry resources to keep going, blah, blah, blah. And what I found was that it just wasn't, it just wasn't working that way. Like LA culture is so chill. It's not a, it's not like a driven growth culture as much, at least it wasn't at that time when we were there in Long Beach. And I saw the writing on the wall three years into it. And I began to really, you know, sulk on the beach and tons of self-pity and shame and comparison because my friends are planning churches that are growing at a rate to sustain, et cetera, et cetera. And I just remember realizing, like, I don't, A, know how to pray because I just pray to get stuff from God. And B, I don't really know who I am outside of this success model of, of pastoral church planting. And so I had a lot of really honest conversations on Hermosa Beach in Southern California of just, you know, lots of middle fingers toward God and <laughs> accusations and things of like, where yes. were you and what's your problem? And I thought, you know, and, and it was like clear as day one night, the Lord, I felt like the Holy Spirit just whispered to my heart, hey, just so you know, my mission never stops being you. Mm. And it was just this release of like God saying, hey, I'm really glad you have a mission in this world and you have a dream and you have a vision and like you're pursuing it. That's really cool. I just want you to know that my mission never stops being you. So know that like if you cooperate with what I'm doing in the world and you cooperate that that your identity is not hanging in the balance or under negotiation as to whether or not this is successful by the world's standards, like your identity is rooted in me. And it's if you fail at this, know that that's okay because I'm not keeping score. And it was the most incredible season of liberation for me. And we just decided, you know, if our church doesn't sustain this year, we're going to give ourselves away and we're going to be missional and we're going to love our neighbors. And if we're going to go down, we're not going to go down sad and self-pitying. We're going to go down with love. And that's what we just committed to do. And it was super, super beautiful what the, what the Lord did in that season. And it just changed my trajectory of what it means to pastor and see myself as a disciple in this world. AJ, I want to ask this question. Oftentimes, threes are sort of known for climbing the ladder. If my understanding is correct, so, you know, you had a church in L.A., and then you had a church in New York. Is that also correct? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And then you, and then eventually you ended up becoming pastor of a very well-known and internationally recognized congregation. And so there's a sense of, of upwardness to that, like, you know, at least from the outside. And then all of a sudden you announce that you're going to go become a priest at this, you know, relatively small, unknown church. And it seems like such an anti-three move. Mm-hmm. Like what, what's what's the deal there? Like what's going on with that? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of critique right now around size in churches. And mm-hmm. I don't share that. I don't, I think, I think the Lord uses 
uses it all. I think there's mischief in all of it and there's, there's beauty mm. and magic in all of it too. Mm-hmm. So for me, it wasn't like I refused to lead a mega church. It was for me listening to my wife who really wanted to return to her Southern roots. And she grew up in Georgia. I grew up in Tennessee. And we have a nine-year-old who was seven at the time. And when COVID hit, she just said, hey, listen, I don't know when this is going to end. And you've got a, a bunch of opportunities in different places around the country. What if we prayed about returning to our roots in the South? And it felt to me really honest to, to A, be rooted in a denomination that is historically sort of based. I, I, I respect the non-denom world. I just felt like I needed a, a deeper rooting. So the sort of charismatic egalitarian wing of Anglicanism called C4SO and my bishop Todd Hunter was a really good spot for me. But more than anything, it was listening to my partner. I longed for her flourishing and she was not flourishing in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And realizing like, hey, like life is not about climbing and that's okay. And the staff at at Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids was super healthy. We had rebuilt it and had diverse multi-generational leadership. And it, you know, Elena just said, Elena's my wife. She said, "I, I think this church can exist well without you. And I said, okay, let's, let's pray about that. And before we knew it, we were, we were jumping on a plane to Charleston. And I mean, I'd be lying if there weren't moments to say like, oh man, that, that platform was helpful in certain ways. And, you know, there are times where you do miss that. But nevertheless, it comes back to, to what we've been talking about. Like, Jesus is the subject of the universe, not me. Jesus is not the object. Jesus is the subject. So wherever God calls me to serve, may I make peace with that in consent. And that's the biggest thing for threes. Consent, surrender. Y'all nailed it. It's so big on cooperating with with God and the circumstances God's leading you to because that's spiritual formation. It's spiritual formation is consent to the presence of God in a particular circumstance. And that's how we're formed in the image of Jesus. AJ, I'm imagining like a lot of people listening to this who either are core threes or they have a lot of three and they're thinking about this virtue of truthfulness, which is an invitation to be authentic, to be honest, to be real with hey, this is what I feel, or this is my station in life, or these are the things that I'm embarrassed about, or the areas that I'm failing. There's just so much potential for such profound embarrassment when the truth is involved. And so many threes resist it because they don't want to feel embarrassed and ashamed. Mm. Like, I already have enough shame. Why would I want to compound it? Yeah. You know, for you, how does practicing the virtue of truthfulness shape your relationship with God and other people? I think I need capacity to face critique and truth. What, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? What do you mean by capacity? Yeah. So I often feel like I am at my worst when I'm not sleeping, eating, and working out well. When I'm not spending enough time in solitude. Mm-hmm. So like I can't receive that kind of that brand of truth called critique or challenge when I feel like I'm already in the negative. Mm-hmm. It's more helpful to to make sure I'm healthy so that I can receive that truth because other people are impacted if I'm not healthy. Like if I lead a team and I'm not healthy, I'm not open to their feedback, that's not going to be good for them as members of the team that I'm on. I have to prioritize my personal health in order to truly have capacity to receive the things that I need to hear in a way that doesn't totally capsize me and make me feel like 
everybody has a problem with me, which is always, you know, the lie that the enemy sows. So does that make yeah. sense? Yes, totally. We're not giving from a, a place of abundance and fullness and richness. We're like, yeah. we're sort of project managing. I'm almost mm-hmm. thinking of like, there was a special on Netflix from comedian Kevin Hart. It was called Kevin Hart Can't Stop. <laughs> and in the course of that documentary series, one of the things he talks about a lot is he's like, look at all the people that depend on me. And if I don't keep showing up in the ways that I got to show up, these other people will suffer. But the, the irony was they were suffering because he was also leading from a really bad place. Mm. Well, I think it's time for us to go. Yeah, I'm ready this goof, time. Goof off in the shallow end of the pool. So stay with us because when we come back, we will be playing Type Detective with AJ Sherrill. We'll be right back. Love Thy Neighborhood is now on Patreon, which offers exclusive content to members. For just 10 bucks a month, you can unlock bonus interviews, live streams, ebooks, and more. By becoming a Patreon member, you're helping us make more of the podcast content that you love and supporting our Urban Missions program. It's really easy to join. Just go to patreon.com slash lovethyneighborhood. We'd love to have you with us as we explore discipleship and missions in our modern times. Again, go to patreon.com slash love thy neighborhood and sign up today. Welcome back to the Indiacast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And now it's time for Type Detective. Okay, our game today is called Type Detective. This is our version of two truths and a lie. So here's how it works. Each of us will take a turn. When it's your turn, you will share three facts about yourself related to your type, but one of them is a lie. Everyone else gets to ask one clarifying question each about any of the facts shared, and after that, they must guess which one they think is a lie. Anyone who guesses correctly gets a point, if on your turn, no one guesses your lie, then you get a point. We're each going to take a turn. So three rounds. Whoever has the most points at the end wins. Are you both ready? Yes. I think. I'm trying to think of what they are. So context. I grew up in youth group in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So lots and lots of youth group music. Yes. Okay. So here are my three. Mm-hmm. Number one, I was in a music video for the band Audio Adrenaline. Okay, number two, I I grew up to work with one of the guys from DC Talk. Mm-hmm. Number three, I I actually played at the music festival with the prayer chain, which is... They're off the chain. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Lindsay Lewis. So, yep. Okay, so I'm a I, I played as I played as part of the, the... Played as a member of the prayer chain for a show. DC Talk. I grew up to work with one of the guys from DC Talk, and I was in one of Audio Adrenaline's music videos. So when you say audio adrenaline music video, you mean like with audio adrenaline, not like your youth group used their music and made a music no. video. No, no, no. I was in the official music video. I was in a lot of those. No, 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 no. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> okay. AJ, right. did you grow up like, were you like a 90s youth group kid? Yes. Yeah. So all these things, do these, these mean something to you? I'll... The first one particularly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So what, okay. are your, what are your questions? To get to know you better. <laughs> that was a big, oh wait, no, that was reality check. That yeah, wasn't I was audio like, dude, jam. that was a different, that's a, you, you, still, you, yeah. Totally. Oh, man, that was my jam. Audit. 
reality check. Reality check. Do you have a clarifying question for Jesse? Sure. What instrument did you play? With the prayer chain? Percussion. Yeah. Percussion. Okay. Lindsay? I think the lie is number one. Audio adrenaline. Okay. All right. You did that? I, I too yeah. think okay, go ahead. I too think the lie is number one, but I'm hoping it's true. Well, my friends, I'm walking away with a point. Oh! Yeah. Wow. You played for audio. I was in their music video for We're a Band off of their second album. What were you doing? In I was it? just like a youth group kid. I was just in the audience. It was just a big... Was, oh, so you weren't playing percussion. No, no. So then, okay, then the... Okay, so then... You okay, tricked number us one, on the Number one, number one, number one. I was in the music video. Like they scanned the audience yeah. and you were in the audience. I'm in that audience, yes. <laughs> And then number two, number two, I did grow up to work with one of the guys from DC. I Talk. knew that. Yeah. So hi, Kevin. So so yeah. So I was Kevin's booking agent for a while. And then, but number three, I did not play percussion for the prayer chain, but that would have been my dream. But oh, okay. I did run, I did run live tracks for their. Reunion I knew you show. did like stuff with yeah. festivals. And, and for all those that are like, who's the prayer chain? Go listen to them, because mm. greatest band ever. Really? Yeah, they're like my favorite still oh. now today. Okay. Yep. Okay. Lindsay. AJ, well, I don't have mine yet. AJ, oh. do you have yours? Your two truths and all. Yeah. All right. Are you we ready? Are ready? Here you go. My subject is culinary champion. Ooh. Oh. Okay. Okay. And I, I want you to guess. Inspired by Bobby Flay, which my daughter thinks I can beat oh. Bobby Flay. If you're aware yeah. of that show, I don't think I can in any in any category. But nevertheless, my signature dishes are, and there's two, two of them are true. One of them is a lie. My signature dishes are Tom Yum soup because I went to grad school in Thailand. My signature dishes are mussels and white wine sauce because I grew up in Orlando. And my signature dishes are iron skillet ribeye because I learned from Momofuku in East Village. Oh my gosh. Any of those is so Tom Yum Soup, because I went to grad school in Thailand, true or false. Mussels and wine sauce because I grew up in Orlando. Or an iron skillet ribeye because I learned from Momofuku in East Village, New York. Okay. Lindsay, wow. what's your question? Oh, gosh. My question is, wow. It's just a wow? It's just a wow. Okay. Yeah. And how long did you live in Thailand? Yeah. So grad school was, that one was about two years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm going to make my guess. Okay. I think that is the lie. Me I too. think Thailand is a lie. I'm going to go with number one. Yeah, you're <gasps> correct. I, I lied about that. I actually lied about even living there for two years. So, um, can repent after as this. As you know, is part of my personality. <laughs> yeah. traits, so. That's so good. Obviously, I'm not very good at it, which is yeah, sort of a gift right. to not that's be good right. at the seat. That's right. Yeah. Reframe that. Well, we can trust you as a priest, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Lindsay, your turn. I don't even know how to play this game. Why can I not think of three facts about myself? Well, ah, we may just have to go with just AJ and I then. I think we should. Okay. Lindsay is doesn't know herself well enough to come up with three things. You I know, was trying to think three truths or two truths and a lie about am I a three or am I a one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I only thought of one thing. Yeah. Well, if you would just slow down enough to do some self-evaluation, okay, you would you would I'll know. work on it. Yeah. If you join our Patreon, you can hear Lindsay's two truths and a lie. Yeah. All right. Well, so I think in light of that, I walked away with you two win. points. Actually, yeah. one. Yeah. So pat on the back to me. Okay. So AJ... Last thing, 11 quick questions. Okay, so we're going to ask you 11 quick questions. You can answer with one word, one phrase, or one sentence. Are you ready? Why 11 and not 9, um, given the Enneagram? Oh, that's a good that's a question. question. Yeah, yeah. 
That because that would make sense. <laughs> yeah, I'm turning this game now in on its head, and I'm going to ask you. <laughs> no, yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, number one. What is a word you use too much? The. <laughs> I like the word ubiquitous. Ubiquitous, I like. But that. I like it so much that I realize I shouldn't use it because it sounds pedantic and stupid. So I don't use it. So I wish I used it too much, but I'm glad I don't because it just it just sounds way too snobbish. Yeah. Mm. I like mm. equanimity. We say that in our teaching. Yeah, that's a good one too. A question number two: What is a word you wish you never had to say again? Um, I would say COVID. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Amen. What makes you feel alive? Being in the Galilee. Mm. Mm. What repels you? Mm, the smell of pollen. Oh yeah. What is your favorite emotion? Joy. What is your least favorite emotion? Shame. Mm. What is a sound or a noise that you love? Wood burning. Mm. What is a sound or a noise that you hate? Running water. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I can't stand that sound. Does it include waterfalls? No, thankfully. That's my like sleep app sink. setting. This is like someone pouring a glass of water. And here's the weird thing. When it's not mine. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like I've nailed, I've realized, oh, I only detest this when it's not my water. I seem to like it. I'm okay with it when it's mine. So you, it's like water narcissism. <laughs> yes. It's, it's total H2O ego. H2 ego. <laughs> yeah. H2 ego. Good. Oh my gosh. Okay. If you could switch any gram types for a day, which one would you want to try out? I mean, doesn't everyone want to be a seven if they're not? It's true. I mean, I think almost everyone has said that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you could tell your teenage self one sentence, what would it be? Um, be still. Yeah. What's the first thing you want to say to God when you die? Thank you. Yeah. Well, AJ, thank you so much for your time today. Mm-hmm. We have really just enjoyed this conversation and we're so grateful for all the work that you're doing and yeah, blessings on everything. Yeah. Wonderful to talk to you all and uh, grateful for the work you're doing. If you benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our guest today, AJ Sherrill. Check out AJ's books, The Enneagram for Spiritual Formation, as well as Being with God. You can buy those wherever you buy good books. Also, you can learn more about AJ and his work by going to ajsherrill.org. Also, special thanks to Crosspoint Ministry, who helped train us in the Enneagram. You can check them out, crosspointministry.com. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. We provide internships focused on service, community, and discipleship for young adults ages 18 to 30. You can serve for a summer or a year and grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. This episode was written by Lindsay Lewis and myself. Anna Tran is our media director and producer. Jason Rugg is our audio engineer. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere and Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Thank you.